0: On atonement, and I'll be talking about the nature of atonement. So, kind of like the ins and outs of atonement. So, to me, the nature of atonement. As I'm studying this the week, I'm thinking, and I I landed on this. Uh, I think that the nature of atonement is Jesus' perfect life and his perfect death. And so, that's what we'll be talking about today. So, for starters, it's a little rough at the beginning, but. We have to understand that we as people suck. Now, that sounds rough, and it's like, oh, well, that's where we're starting, but that's where we're starting. Uh, but we as people suck. We fall short. We're sinners. Uh, we don't deserve anything but God's wrath. And I think Paul says it perfectly. It's in Romans three ten through 18. It'll come up here. So as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's rough, but that's who we are. We are sinners. And we're destined for death because of our sin. Um, we're, we're not righteous, like the very first part. None is righteous. But the problem is, is we find fellowship and we find love with God when we obey Him. And when we are trying to follow Him. But now we're stuck. So we are sinners, not righteous. And God is righteous and can only be with the righteous. So there's this problem that we have. We're stuck and we don't have fellowship with God because we are not righteous. We're not good. But this is the reason why we needed Jesus' perfect life. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin to bring his believers into perfect righteousness and fellowship with the Heavenly Father. So given that you believe in Jesus and what he's done for you, you now can live in righteousness with God. So the idea here is we are not righteous, and we never will be. But if you believe in Jesus, when God sees us, he sees Jesus' perfect life. He sees a sinless life. He doesn't see the mess. He doesn't see the lie that you told earlier. He doesn't see the way that you were prideful about the way people think of you earlier. He sees Jesus and his perfect life showering over top of you. Now, there's more to that than just like, okay, well, here it is and it's done. So look at Romans 5, 19 with me. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, and so by the one man's obedience, the many were be made righteous now sorry to those of you who are in your bibles because i'm going to be all over and i apologize now but this is it this is what has happened we were made sinners right adam and eve they failed they failed to be obedient and it led to sin that's what it means by one act of disobedience the many were made sinners but There's still a good part to this. There's a part that's good, and the ending is the good part. But by one man's obedience, which is our Jesus Christ, his obedience, God sees believers now as righteous. Thank God, right? I mean, we couldn't do it on our own. There's no shot. We're called in the Old Testament to live by the law, and that will show the righteousness, and we failed over and over and over again. Look at Israel. Again, they just like, they fail, and they fail, and they fail. But, one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, came, lived the perfect life so that we could be made righteous. So that we could have fellowship with God again. Check this out. Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. That depends on faith. Again. The righteousness is not ours. You know what ours is the sin. Ours is the opposite of righteousness. We're destined for death. To be away from God. But thank you Jesus. For that. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. not our righteousness. It's his. Again we suck, Jesus rocks. Like, if you get that out of tonight, I think I'm cool with it. So, you'll hear me say it probably ten more times, but we are not good, we suck. And we needed Jesus to live a perfect life for us because we couldn't do it. There's no shot, we wouldn't do it. And again, at the end, you have to catch this, righteousness from God that depends on faith. There is nothing that you can do to be righteous but have faith in Christ. It's faith alone. It's not like, oh, well, I'll go and I'll serve and that makes me righteous. No. You can. There's, we can't obtain righteousness other than through faith in Christ. It's faith alone. I'll have this paragraph come up. This is kind of how I summed it up as I was studying it this week. He fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, which is the Old Testament way of being righteous. And that's the law that we surely couldn't. There's no shot. Again, we couldn't do it. When we believe in Christ, His perfect life covers us. Without it, we would have no record of righteousness because holiness and righteousness come from God alone, not us. So we needed that perfect life. The part of atonement, there's two parts that I see is His perfect life, which we're talking about right now, is We needed Jesus to live a perfect life because we can't. So he went and he lived a perfect life, sinless. And we can now have righteousness with God. We can have community. We can have togetherness with God because of Jesus' coverage. Now, along with Jesus' perfect life, we needed his perfect death. Don't forget, and I think you guys talked about this last week. I wasn't here, but... From the notes, it looked like you talked about God being a wrathful God. God is wrathful. That's the way it is. It's just. He's right in his wrath, but he is wrathful. Look at Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's wrathful. He has to be. It's right. It's the right thing, and he has to be. But here's the thing. He's wrathful because of our sin in the past. He's wrathful because of our sin today. And he's wrathful because of our sin in the future. God cannot be with sin. And all of this sin, it has to be accounted for. There has to be some sort of judgment. There has to be some sort of wrath coming out of God because then it's not just. What's the point? If, if he doesn't have his wrath, then... Believe whatever the heck you want. You'll make it. There has to be wrath. It's what's right. So you think about it. Okay, where's this wrath going to go? Who's going to take it? If we take it, we're done for. It's death. Over. So God conjures up this perfect plan of Jesus will take the wrath. Jesus' perfect death accounted for God's wrath towards our sin because we needed it to. We can't, we couldn't do it. What are we going to do to God's wrath but perish? But with Jesus and his perfect death, now we have, that wrath is accounted for. So God, yes, displays his wrath, but for those who believe in Jesus, he sees Jesus' righteousness and we're covered. Jesus died for our sins. And this is true for every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Look here now at 1 John 2.2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. You have to consider that for a second. I, as a sinful man, sin every single day of my life. I'm pretty confident in that. Romans 3 tells me I'm not righteous. And there are billions of people in the world, and there have been billions of people that have died, and there will be billions of people barring Jesus coming back, which he might right now. That'd be cool. Go out on that. But no, there is all this sin that is built up, and all the sin that's happening right now, and there's all the sin that will happen, and you have to wrap your mind around how big of a sacrifice that is for Jesus. God doesn't want to kill his own son. But he realizes the most loving plan is for that to happen. And once you start to wrap your mind around that, it will will break you down in the best way possible. Because you realize, man, I am nothing, Jesus is everything, and he loves me. Again, it's the ultimate sacrifice. There's no sacrifice that was greater than this. And I know this next part will be kind of tough, but I think it's going to help us and grow in appreciation for Christ. So we've talked about his life, and now we're starting to get into his death. And what I want to talk about, and I want to spend the rest of the time talking about, is what did Jesus experience? Because it's not just a death. It's not just a crucifixion. Jesus suffered his whole life, chose to still live a perfect life and then go and die on a cross so that God's wrath could be satisfied and that we could live in righteousness, given that we believe that he's done what he's done. So first, we'll, we'll walk through a few things that he experienced. And the first thing that comes to mind will come up here. He had opposition from those who loved him most, that should have loved him most. And so what I mean by that is John 2.18 says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? So the Jews are God's people in the Old Testament, and, and God is feeding them information, he's talking with them, and he's protecting them, and it's this cycle of like they leave God, and they, they disobey Him, and then God saves them, and it's just like this cycle over and over and over again. And throughout that, God actually tells them Hey, a Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. So these Jewish people, they knew. They knew that a Messiah was coming. And when he showed up and was in their face, they said, hey, do a trick for us so we know what you're legit. Do something. I cannot imagine being in the face of the person who should love me the most. And they say, well, you got to like prove yourself. Like I don't think you're legit. You seem like a phony. That's what they're doing, and that's what they did to him most of his life. Jewish leadership was like, ah, I don't think this guy's legit. It's probably someone else is coming. Second, the death of his dear friend Lazarus. John 11, 34 through 35, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see, and Jesus wept. A lot of people will take that verse, and they're like, Oh, Jesus wept, That's funny. But for me, I think it's one of the top verses in my heart because it shows Jesus' humanity. He wept. He's not crying just to cry. He's crying because he's in pain and he's suffering. I'm sure you guys could probably relate when you lose a close family member or a friend. Imagine your best friend dying. That hits home. I mean, maybe he is is God. So maybe he knew this was going to happen and he knew Lazarus was going to die, but Like, I know that my parents are going to die. I know that, right? One day it's happened. That's just what happens. But that doesn't prepare me for the mourning, the pain that I'm going to go through. That doesn't, like, set me up for, like, oh, they're going to die, so I'm cool. No, I'm still going to suffer. I'm going to be in pain. Those are the people that are closest to me, and that was Lazarus. Lazarus and Jesus were best friends. They were together. And he felt the weight of that. He felt the pain. And through all of this, he's still living a perfect life. He's not selfish. He's not sinful. He's living for other people first. Third, the pain of bearing sin. Matthew 26, 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is falling to his face and saying, God, I, if, if there's another way, please. This is a man who's suffering. This is painful for him. And I want you to consider when you think about your own life. So if you follow Christ and you're a believer in Christ, when you sin, think about the way that your heart and your gut feel. It's like this like clash of just... Like, the Holy Spirit and your sin nature are just, like, banging heads. And you feel terrible. Like, you want to throw up. You're like, God, what do I do? You're on your face. Jesus is taking that and multiplying it. I don't even have a number to represent. I'm a math teacher. I have no idea. Like, I can't even give you a number big enough. Because it's every sin in the entire world. And he's feeling the psychological pain of that. Like I know when I sin, I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And my gut is like turning in knots. Jesus is feeling the pain of all the sin, the psychological pain, the physical pain, all of it. But he does it because he loves us. Fourth, he felt abandonment felt lonely. But all this has taken place that the scriptures, the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So Jesus has disciples that are with him through his entire ministry. And he calls them. He says, hey, come follow me. And they're like, okay, let's do it. I'll go. And they follow him his entire ministry. And when he's just about to take on the cross, they leave. It's like, hey, this is the biggest moment for me this is going to be the most painful thing that I do in my entire life. It'll be worth it. I need you. And they say, see ya. Gotta go. They don't have a reason for it. It's like, oh, but I just, I, I can't. i got something. They leave him. He's alone to take on the sin of the entire world. And now he still had fellowship with the Father, but in a human sense, The people that were with him are no longer there. It's by himself. By himself to take on the sin of the entire world. Finally, the physical pain. This is what we always hear about. It's like, oh, it's the cross. It's the cross. Matthew 27, 35 through 37, when they had crucified him. That's all you really need. They divided his garments among them by casting lots, and they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put this charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Crucified. Now, at this point, his body's been physically destroyed. He's been whipped, beaten, bloodied, anything you could possibly imagine for them to torment this man they did. And then he gets crucified. And I'm going to throw this up here, and, and I think that it is worthwhile because I think we just need to read it. And read it with me or close your eyes and picture it, whatever you think will work. But I'm going to read a description of what crucifixion is because I think that we say, oh, it's the cross. Like, yeah, I get it. It's the cross. But you have to hear what this means. This was the, probably the top way of punishment, torture. So I'm going to read it. Many readers of the gospel in the ancient world would have witnessed crucifixions and thus would have had a painfully vivid mental picture upon reading the simple words, and they crucified him. A criminal who was crucified was essentially forced to inflict upon himself a very slow death by suffocation. When the criminal's arms were outstretched and fastened by nails to the cross, he had to support most of his weight with his bodies, with his arms. The chest cavity would be pulled upward and outward, making it difficult to exhale in order to be able to draw a fresh breath. But when the victim's longing for oxygen became unbearable, he would have to push himself with his feet, thus giving more natural support to the weight of his body, releasing some of the weight from his arms, enabling his chest cavity to contract more normally. But by pushing himself upward in this way, the criminal would... Off, to, to fend off suffocation but it was extremely painful because it required putting the body weight on the nails holding the feet and bending the elbows and pulling upward the nails driven through the wrists the criminal's back which had been torn repeatedly by the previous flogging would scrape against the wooden cross with each breath thus Seneca spoke of a crucified man drawing the breath of life amid long drawn out agony We talk about physical pain, but I think a lot of times we don't realize what we're talking about. We talk about the cross, but I don't think we realize what we talk about. This is what it is. This is torture. This is pain. But it's for a reason. This isn't for no reason. This is the wrath of God played out on a human being. So, if you feel the pain of opposition from someone who you feel like should love you, death of a close friend or a family member, pain the world has brought to you, abandonment, loneliness, the beautiful part is I know a Savior who can relate. Jesus Christ went through it all. The worst possible death. A life of suffering. He didn't do it just to do it. He did it that we could have righteousness we could be in connection with God and to cover the wrath that we deserve please if you get one thing from this the one thing that I want you to take away from this is if you don't believe in Jesus please consider it there is a payment that was paid for you and all he's asking is hey believe in me and live for me And if you do already I pray that this that God grows your faith through this. This understanding of what his life was all about. If you feel like, man, I don't I don't know what's going on, my heart is kind of turning, please talk to somebody tonight. It is the most important situation to determine in your entire life. I mean, I don't know a lot of you very closely. I know a lot of you, but Man, there's one decision I would want you to make the rest of your life. It is to believe in Jesus Christ and follow. Him. It is the single most important decision you can make in your entire life. He loves you and He wants a relationship with you. I'll pray for us and then Alex will send us out into small groups. Father, I can do you no justice and I I'm not righteous. Your scripture tells me. And the death that you died was God's wrath put on picture for us. And it's what we deserve. But God, you stepped into our place. Jesus, you stepped into our place and you lived a life that was perfect so that we could have righteousness. And you died on the cross so that we didn't have to be with your pain. Deal with the wrath of God. Lord, we love you so much, and I pray that everyone in this room has a relationship with you and knows you personally because that is the single most important thing in your entire life, in our entire life. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your sacrifice. We could never thank you enough. We love you, and we pray that if I said anything wrong tonight, if anything goes against your word, that you would get rid of it out of these people's minds, but if it's true and it's holy, I pray that it would stick with them the rest of their lives. So we love you and thank you it's in your something of